Hey there, and welcome to Speakeasy with Kendra Fisher. Join me each week as my guests and I take a deep dive into all of the conversations we've been taught are better left unsaid. No more silence, no more hiding. This is a safe space where anything goes. Join me this week as I have perhaps one of the most awkward conversations I've ever had in my life. This is Beth Safarian, my pelvic physiotherapist, and join us as we talk about pain, the nervous system, mental health, and how it all comes together to create chaos within us. Beth, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing. I'm excited to have this conversation with you finally. Um, I know we've been We've been trying to get this set up and I'm having an adventurous day as always. So welcome to my chaos. I think you're used to it by now. Never a dull moment. Um, there really isn't, there really isn't. So just to give you a little, a little preface to this, Beth, when I had asked you to come on here with me and speak with regards to what you do and uh, its relevance with me, um, I was ready to like tiptoe into it. I was ready to like, okay, we're going to talk about pelvic physio. We're going to talk about pain. We're going to talk about, um, all of the implications and information that I've learned working with you. And it occurred to me this morning, and I obviously haven't spoken to you since this morning. So surprised that, you know, there's just in my journey so far, with the community that I have and everybody watching a lot of the value that I have and a lot of how I can help people is really just being honest about my journey. So um, we're really just going to strip this back and talk about first uh, about what you do, because it's, it still fascinates me and uh, amuses me to some level only because there's no other word to deal with the potential discomfort that comes with what you do. Um, and then I, I really want to kind of no holds barred, just dig into my journey with you and where we're heading and what that looks like. So, um, first off, I mean, is there a simple explanation? What is pelvic physiotherapy? Yes. So, um, to keep it simple, the pelvic floor is an area of muscles, just like anything else in the body. So, you know, there's strength, coordination, and tension in the pelvic floor, just like there is in your neck and shoulders, in your hamstrings, in your glutes. So there's a lot of similarities to other muscle groups in your body um, that the pelvic floor also is very similar to. But then, of course, it's very unique because it's more internal. So it yeah. has different functions like sphincteric control for bladder and bowel, sexual function, um, support of your organs. It truly is the bottom of your pelvis, like the floor of your pelvis. Um, so yeah, we treat the muscles of the pelvic floor similarly to any other physiotherapist. Um, but to access those muscles, it's just a little bit different, a little bit more intimate. Um, but yeah, that's kind of in a, a little bit of a nutshell, kind of what we look at is the pelvic floor muscles and a lot of people, um, you know, are familiar with the phrase of a Kegel. So that's kind of a, a good gateway into explaining what the pelvic floor is, because everyone knows a lot of people have heard of the squeezing to kind of hold things in a little bit. Everyone knows how to hold in a fart. That's what I always say. So um, that's a good <laughs> way. 
to be honest. <laughs> it, and fantastic, right? Because I think that there's a validity to breaking this down into something tangible and everyday that people can relate to. Because I know for me, I mean, the reason I was introduced to you is this journey I've been having with a possible diagnosis of endometriosis and ovarian cysts and the pain it was causing me. And gratefully, my my specialist thought to take a very holistic approach to treating me and kind of pull from every avenue that she knew of. So she says, you know, have you ever tried pelvic physio? And uh, I mean, I'm very well-versed with physio and therapy and I'm an athlete. So it's not as though I haven't been exposed to various degrees of physical therapy before. Um, but then I arrived at your, your office and, you know, really the only relevance I understood for what you do was as it relates to labor and delivery. You know, the only time I'd ever heard of anybody using pelvic physio was to it, it, the way it was always put to me so that I'm not peeing myself so often after I've birthed children. And so, I mean, that's the known, but how many other disorders and dysfunctions and purposes does it serve to focus on? your pelvic floor and, you know, everything that you're treating. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point because that is the most, that's another gateway conversation as to when I talk to someone about, oh, what do you do? Like meeting my boyfriend's parents for the first time. What do you do? Oh, you know how women like after they have a baby, you leak when you pee because you're right. That is the most common um, kind of explanation. But we also treat, like you said, a lot of pelvic pain. Um, so conditions like endometriosis, PCOS, um, vaginismus. Vaginismus is the condition where your pelvic floor muscles are guarding quite tightly to the point of being unable to achieve any sort of insertion. So whether that be tampons, half exams, sex, intercourse. Um, so that's a very common condition we see a lot of too. Um, we'll also treat males as well for pelvic pain. Um, prostate cancer often can result in a prostatectomy, so the removal of a prostate, which leads to a lot of incontinence for men as well after that surgery. So we'll treat a lot of men for those types of conditions. Even things like chronic constipation, um, fissures or hemorrhoids, all that type of stuff. If it's happening in the pelvis, chances are there'll be something that we can work on or um, look at from the pelvic floor perspective to help with that issue. So those are some of the other types of conditions that we'll see as well. Yeah, wide range. And so, I mean, I, I mean, I, I told you I was going to bring this up because I think it's like honestly still and forever will be the most unique comment that any medical professional has ever said to me in my life. Um, and you're going to laugh because after after you said this, I was like, okay, we're done. Like, there's there's no more there's there's no more barrier here. We're just this is this is it. I'm committed now. Um, and that was you know, and, and also, I mean, I'm not, I'm not doing this as a joke. I'm doing this because in honesty, this has been my journey so far. And because I think that it's, it's something that if we kind of take the shock out of it, maybe people would understand the value of it. And if we take away that kind of fear of how uncomfortable the notion of having therapy be a more internal prospect, um, 
you know, I think more people then try to access it and hopefully can reap the benefits of it as I have. And I say this all obviously as somebody who is absolutely a believer in this now. Um, but I mean, my first appointment with you and just to give people an idea of what to expect was very gentle. It was very, you know, psychosocial kind of wanted to understand my story, the pain I was feeling in my instance, it was a lot of abdominal pain and pelvic pain that was being generated from the pelvic area and we'll leave it there for now. Um, you know, so it was an external examination. It was very gentle kind of manipulation, trying to locate pain externally and such. And then the next appointment was when we began therapy internally. And I, I still remember because it was just shocking to have it, first, there's that like really awkward moment where care providers or physicians like step out of the room while they ask you to undress, which is just funny to me because it's like here, get undressed, put this drape on, I'm going to leave the room and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to move that drape out of the way. But anyways, is what it is. So leave the room, come back. And in all seriousness, no word of a lie, the sentence she says to me is now I just want you to take some deep breaths while I look at your vulva. And I'm sitting there thinking, what in the hell? Like, actually, how is that where I'm at right now. And I had no comprehension whatsoever how much there was for me to learn. And so, I mean, from that external perspective and then moving internal, how does that show function? How does that show, I mean, how much of that can actually affect us internally? Because I was mind blown. I, I mean, it was just kind of this moment of, okay, this has to be a joke. Like this, She's going to laugh in a second and be like, ha, 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 I got you. Um, yeah, you're on the phone or whatnot, yeah. Um, it's a great I'm... question, yeah. <laughs> drink, drink water, then then figure it out. So, so let me explain a little bit about like what um, we're looking at when I say, okay, I'm just going to have you breathe and I'm just going to observe and see what your vulva does. So basically, you're right. We start externally. We look at the abdomen, we look at how you're breathing and, and how your stomach is moving, how you use different muscles to breathe. So how your diaphragm is, how your abdominals, like your obliques and things, are they overactive? Are they doing too much work? Are you able to breathe into the lower abdomen or do you breathe only with your chest and rib cage area? So that's kind of what we look at first. And like you said, we palpate around um, the muscles of the abdomen and check for tension, sensitivity. We look for something, we talked about this actually at your last session called allodynia, which is when light touch produces a pain sensation. And that's a big um, indicator of what's called central sensitization, which is when your nervous system's in that overdrive. And so we know that light touch isn't dangerous. It's not to the tissues. There's no, you know, why would a light touch on skin, you know, produce a painful response. And that comes back to the nervous system and that hypersensitivity that we were speaking about at your last appointment. But anyways, to go back to the vulva, what we're looking at basically is when you breathe, does your pelvic floor move with your breath? Because that is what's supposed to happen when you are using your breath properly. There is a gentle release of the pelvic floor and a lift. So basically I kind of say, I'll explain to you right now, if these are your bum cheeks here, 
like just right in yeah. the center. This is where the vagina and anus are. When you breathe, you should see a slight release. So my fingers move down towards you. And then as you exhale, a slight lift of the muscles back up. So this is kind of the movement that I look at when I'm assessing your vulva. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, again, like it, it's, it, you know, it's something that we're inherently made to giggle at because it's like uncomfortable and whatever. But at the same time, as somebody who has now been working with you for a couple of months, it, you know, I, I have learned more about my body and how it functions and the effect it has in the past couple of months, just with you explaining to it in a, in a way that I hadn't really ever in a perspective that I had no reason to look at myself before, which is, which is why I'm bringing this up. I'm not looking for comedic value here. I just, I simply want people to understand because when I transfer that into the anxiety disorder I live with and the panic I live with and the psychology around pain and how it affects us and how all consuming it can be, there's so many points in what you just said that are so important. And it comes right down to something as simple as, am I breathing properly? Well, if pain for whatever reason is changing my breath pattern, then I already know I'm causing myself issues because I know from a psychology perspective that if I'm not controlling my breathing and my breath's not going where I need it to, I'm causing myself a whole other set of problems. And so, the, the fun part of this is Beth has managed to um, offer me an assurance through this therapy that I haven't gotten anywhere else so far in the past six months, which has been which has been incredible because through pelvic floor therapy, you're able to trigger pain that feels so generic to me. And in doing so, you're reassuring me that there's an explanation for where that pain's coming from. So uh, one, I think that there's a huge validity. And if you're dealing with any of the conditions that, that Beth just mentioned in terms of generating pain and, and things that pelvic therapy can be useful for, absolutely, I think this is an avenue you should check out. When we come into my instance now, I'm interested a lot in exploring this because I think a lot of the people that are part of this community and follow me, um, there's going to be a lot of people who deal with the same types of issues that make it potentially a little more complex in terms of being able to separate what is the real physical cause and how much of this is my emotional state and fear and worry starting to play a part in this. So first off, is it common? Is it common for people who are dealing with pain? You know, and I feel like you deal with the most relevant areas for pain because it's where we all know all of our important stuff is. <laughs> you're, you're dealing with my organs and I need to know my organs are working well. So is it common? Is it common that that's a normal response? Yes, so absolutely. I think. Um just in the world of pain neuroscience and pain education, that world is becoming kind of like pelvic floor physio is a newer world that we're learning more and more about. So the way we used to treat things, anything, any condition, like you know, injuries to the knee, injuries to the back, all that kind of stuff, um, was always very tissue focused, right? Go to someone, get your treatment done, 
they'll fix you and your tissues will heal and then your pain will be gone. Um, and what we're learning and what's in the research and evidence more and more every year that we're seeing is how much more complex pain is and how much more of the psychosocial factors are incredibly important and how much they drive pain. Um, so usually what happens, it's very easy to understand pain when you roll an ankle, right? There's tissue damage, there's inflammatory yeah. response, the pain is to protect you. Um, but that, t that tissue heals, right? There's a normal tissue healing phase that occurs. And after three to six months, after a, a sort of injury or something like that, th that pain then starts to become, if it's still present, starts to become more, um, sensitized related rather than tissue related. So more nervous system related, um, because of the changes to the nervous system, because of the fear that that injury might have. Um, created right now there's fear to jump there's fear to exercise because of that injury to the ankle and so there might be ongoing pain past that three to six months but we know that a lot of that ongoing pain might not necessarily be full-on tissue related i'm sure there's a piece of it scar tissue and whatnot but it starts to change kind of the longer that you've been in pain um so the whole approach to treating persistent pain which is classified as more than three to six months of pain is changing. We're moving away from just, oh, we'll release this muscle and then it's going to fix everything. We're leaning into treating using the biopsychosocial, so the physical, the psychological, and the social kind of environmental factors, home factors, stuff like that, to give the person their best possible care. Because really, I say to my patients all the time, if I don't talk to you about how pain works, like, you know, how we've talked about those modules and stuff like that, if I don't do that, I'm doing you a disservice. Like you'll probably get a bit better with some manual therapy for sure. But will you get as good and hit those goals that you really want to hit as well as if you would, if I were to explain and chat with you about pain a little bit more. And, and so, uh, I mean, I'm, again, I'm an open book when it comes to this community and I, I made the decision this morning that we're going to do this, this, uh, getting me back on my feet and back out of my head very publicly with my community. Um, so I'm not holding back anything here. So when I came to you, we were very much dealing with the potential what if of endometriosis and ovarian cysts. That was kind of the diagnosis we were working with and where we were at. Uh, over the past six months, that has been my, my big question mark. Um, and so then kind of through my own frustration and through my own process, certain tests have neither confirmed nor, you know, changed or given me any solid medical answer as to unequivocally, this is what's causing your pain, which is very difficult for me because for me, as somebody who lives with anxiety based and fear based, uh, thoughts around illness and thoughts around the potential of certain illnesses. I mean, Beth has heard me question whether or not I've had cancer at least 40 times in the past two months. Um, and graciously has, has not sent me away yet. Um, <laughs> and, and I mean, in so honesty, that's, that's where I got to, I got to this place where not only am I battling the fact that I have physical pain being generated by possibly this thing, but I have this even bigger fear of 
what are we missing and what's actually causing this? And that keeps moving me backwards. That keeps increasing the pain that keeps decreasing my value of life that keeps decreasing my ability to do the things that I need to do to stay healthy on a daily basis. And so this is where we are now. We're at this point where quite literally the physical pain I'm feeling pales in comparison to the pain that is being created by this fear and that is being created by my nervous system. And I'm hoping because you know that I did all of my homework and watched all of the modules that you asked me to watch. Um, I'm hoping you can, (laughs) everybody that is watching this right now knows well enough to know, to expect that of me. So I'm sorry, I'm getting through them, I promise. Um, But can can you explain better than I can is the answer. Can you please explain what we're dealing with with me now? What's my issue? What have I done to myself? What has this created? And and what do we now have to do to get me out of this place? Also, knowing that I'm like 90% sure, P.S., I have my pelvic and abdominal ultrasounds tomorrow. So we're done testing after tomorrow. Okay. Uh, you didn't know that yet. Um, no. So we're like 90% sure I, I have a hemorrhagic or endometrioma cyst on my ovary that's causing pain. So that's like this little piece of the equation. But what have I actually done to myself? And can you please explain that to everybody so they know what I'm up against now and what you're up against because you're part of the team now. So yeah, what did I do? Absolutely. <laughs> Well, you've done a number now you're good so yeah. Um, yeah. the fear tension pain cycle is what i talk to um, about with a lot of clients so um the fear of pain the fear of the unknown is more of your concern kendra of the fear of what if this is something more what if we're missing something and that's a very real fear that you're allowed to have it's your health right um yeah. but when that fear becomes so dominant it results or leads to tension in your body it results and leads to up regulation of the nervous system so the nerves become sensitized the muscles become tense and what starts to happen is that your threshold for what tips you into a flare-up or into pain starts to your baseline starts to approach your threshold so it's kind of like you know, if your healthy nervous system was hanging out down here, right? Once you add in the fear, the anxiety of all of that, your threshold, or sorry, not threshold, baseline starts to hang out more around here. Your threshold for pain is just above your current activity level, if that makes sense. So you're kind of hovering just below this pain threshold. So it doesn't take very much for things to be um, tipped over into that pain threshold. So meaning things that wouldn't, you know, aggravate pain for a lot of people aggravate your pain because of that change in your nervous system activity level. So, you know, you used to run, you're you're a good runner, you're a natural athlete, like you can run. I know you've told me these speeds and stuff and I'm like, that sounds like Olympic (laughs) level, but whatever. Um, Far from. (laughs) But now you run two and a half K 
And that puts you into your pain threshold. That flares you up because your nervous system's already just under your pain threshold level. So it doesn't take much, only a two and a half K run, which is a lot for some people, but for you, not very much. Two and a half K run or just not eating that well or not getting as much sleep. Those little things that, you know, in the past wouldn't have caused issues or don't cause issues for a lot of people. Um, they can pull you into a flare up, um, pull you in past that pain threshold and cause issues there. And then of course it just cycles, right? So then you have pain, which causes more fear, more tension, more pain, and it just cycles and cycles and cycles. So what we've talked about and trying to work on is finding a level that allows you to hover just below your pain threshold, right? So we talked about graded exposure a little bit, where for you, you're an all or nothing person, right? You, you're like, <laughs> Which I'm really I'm good at. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's something you have a strength in for sure. Um, so, you, you know, you talk about you haven't done yoga for months or something like that. And then you and your, your partner at work do a session where you're doing all these vinyasas, where you're going from down dog to up dog, doing all the stuff that feels good in the moment. But because it was too much for your nervous system, right? Your nervous system isn't used to being taxed in that way, puts you over the edge, flares you up. Now you're probably not, not going to want to do yoga anytime soon after that because of <laughs> that fear flare, that pain flare up. So we talked about graded exposure, which is finding a balance where, okay, instead of doing a 45 minute power flow yoga, can we do a 15 minute restorative gentle yoga to start to keep you below threshold? So that was kind of our conversation we had recently was about graded exposure. And that's what led us to our conversation about a running program that I'm putting together for you, where we ease into your distances. Because I know you have some goals coming up for that charity event, as well as a half marathon, I think you said in the fall. I right? didn't mean to though. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's a was an accidental commitment that I'm now I'm like now I'm using these commitments as my motivators which is actually very useful for me and so I <laughs> I I love it when I'm like I love like this whole live presentation of Kendra doesn't do her homework and she's she's just burying herself right now which is so true which is exactly why I've chosen to do it this way because I think that there's so much to gain from this because I think so many people that live with chronic pain, it's so difficult to find the validation in that cycle. It's so difficult to find the validation because, it, you know, with something as vague as pelvic pain, with something as vague as you may be dealing with a condition that may or may not be spread throughout your abdomen, may or may not even exist but for whatever reason you're feeling this pain and for somebody who lives with anxiety and and panic and phobia around illness to fixate on that is so easy and when it's dealing like i mean when i blow a knee or when i break a hand or that's easy like that's nothing to me because it's mm -hmm. it's very it's not even that I understand it. It's just so far from my vital organs. And it's so far from being something that when I Google, you know, my right thumb hurts, they don't come back and say, okay, you've got five different types of cancer growing in your, in your very vital organs. Whereas yeah. my less than, less than solid, irrational thinking right now, 
has been drawn to the keyboard many times. And, you know, as soon as you, it's funny, and I've explained it to you, it's like this travel progression of my pain. Like it starts at my lower right side always, but then it flares up into underneath my right rib cage, which is, uh, of course, my liver's there. And then because I get so tense, it's then I'm feeling it right in my center of my stomach and there's my pancreas. And then it feels like there's a solid rock and then, you know, your digestive system changes and your bathroom habits change. And then it's like, okay, great. So now I've got an obstruction or I've got colon cancer. And when you spend so much time fixated on fear, it, you know, there's, there's three things in this world that make your world so small. And that's fear, anger, and sadness. There is nothing in this world that can make the world feel as small and as unbearable. And I have like, just got myself tied in knots right now. And I know it. And I appreciate that I know it now. Like, I appreciate that we're at this spot now where I'm like, okay, no shame. I'm, I'm not, there's no shame in me admitting this. There's no, and, and that's why I'm choosing to do it this way. I 100% do have pain that comes cyclically with my ovaries. 100%. Set that aside. I can manage that. If you can tell me black and white, you're going to have ovarian pain for the rest of your life. Cool. Awesome. That's fine. I can manage that. But when somebody can't say black or white, that's the answer. Then there's like this, like, I'm so good at coming up with filling in blanks. But now I know that there's this whole other level of pain that I have to learn how to live with and I have to learn how to manage. Um, can you explain to the lovely people because I the 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 one the the one piece of my homework I did do was around the video on um pain and stress mm-hmm. and in it there's the reference to the bear in the room are you do you do you know this one well enough to recite it or am I putting you on the spot because no. I think this is I think this one is so relevant because it can even have the absence of an ovarian cyst. It can just be that you are generally feeling pain that is unexplained or it doesn't matter because I think the relevance of it is so high in terms of what so many people are living with these days and in in stress, in fear, in uncertainty, in just feeling like we're all drinking from a fire hose right now. And I think it's, I just, I mean, I I have listened to that one more than once now, because that seems to be the one that's getting me. So can you explain that to people so that they can understand the importance of understanding that you cannot treat your physical health without acknowledging your mental health, and you cannot treat your mental health without acknowledging your physical health, because whether you like it or not, they feed each other infinitely. Yes, 100%. So um, you know, with stress and the nervous system and how it all kind of comes together, um, you you have physical responses when you are stressed, right? When there's that bear in the room, the lion in the room, whatever animal scares you the most, um, you have that physical response, like your heart rate starts to elevate, blood flow starts to go to certain muscles that you might need to run away. Um, Blood is shunted away from your digestion during those moments because of the need for blood in other areas of the body to save your life, right? So 
it's that fight or flight nervous system versus the rest and digest nervous system. So there's actual changes in your hormones, um, in your bodily functions that allow your body to survive. However, when it comes to chronic pain issues, that lion becomes something that's actually not life threatening. So evolutionary perspective, right? We used to have to need that change and that, you know, um, fight or flight response all the time in order to survive, right? That from an evolutionary perspective. But now we're in a place where a lot, luckily, a lot of people living in a place and in a, in a world where we don't have to fear for our lives, hopefully, um, as much as we would have, you know, thousands of years ago. So our fight or flight responses are related to work. They're related to family stress, um, you know, relationships, money, stuff like that. So, and when you have all of those new kind of fight or flight issues accumulating, you're just in a state of, of, um, overdrive all the time. So your heart rate's always elevated. Your blood flow is never in your digestive system anymore. So we're constipated and things aren't going well on that front. And so to be in that constant state of living with a lion or a bear in your room is kind of a good example as to what it's like to be dealing with ongoing persistent pain and being someone who is dealing with anxiety and stress on a regular basis. Your body's just always upregulated and working hard. You're not going to sleep well if there's a line in your bedroom. You know, you're not going to digest well if, if that's there. So that's kind of, I think, the main pieces of that analogy. But, you know, add to it for sure in terms of the pieces you got from it. Yeah, well, and I think the thing that it, it just, it's, it fascinates me and it's intriguing. And I want to say it in as many ways as we can, because I think it's relevant to so many people. And I want to make sure that we kind of hit on it in every possible way, because I know that, you know, for me, so in my journey, there's kind of these, these pillars, these foundations that I have in place that help me to stay in a place of recovery. And I mean, it's really, really probably pretty difficult for you to look at me right now and be like, hey, she's like the pinnacle of knows how to live with mental health because I haven't really been my best version of myself in your office. Um, but that being said, I mean, nobody else for the past six months knows that I've been living with this. And this is, again, the issue, right? The issue is it's one thing to live with a mental illness that you feel the need to tuck away so that you can be functional in real life and then manage it on your own. I'm, I'm blessed because of what I do, I'm able to live with it out loud and, and not have it affect me negatively. Um, but I've learned over these past six months because, you know, chronic pain is not something that I've ever had to deal with. I, I've always been somebody who deals with physical pain very in stride. I mean, I, I played three hockey games on a broken ankle. I've, I've done, you know, these things don't really bother me because as long as I can place it, psychologically, I can push through it, which enables me to push through it. And this has been like the perfect worst case scenario for me of combining all of my fears with me already run down and already stressed and already dealing with life at a, a not ideal time in the world. A newly diagnosed son, you know, with a, a complicated chronic illness that's been a learning curve. So just this constant stress on stress on stress 
And it's been very impossible for me to rely on the traditional things that I've used to dig myself out of these holes before. You know, I would run every day. That in and itself was like my my get out of jail card. That was my, if I'm down, if I'm right out, I go for a run and I can manage it. And eating healthy, like you said, and you know, like you know, I mean, I got into a, a wicked habit recently of all of this pain and all of this fear and everything. I mean, I was downing like a large bag of M&Ms a night. Like it was just like, that's what I was grabbing for. Like there was, there were no carrots, there was no salad. It was just very much like, I'm going to drown this pain. And I've been sober for 22 years. So chocolate's my only option really. And right, right. Yeah, you, I, think, I think the words were, I don't remember the last time I had a vegetable. <laughs> no, I don't. I eat a lot of fruit, but I, you know, I, I know that I've gotten away from the basics and I do, this isn't an excuse. I'm not, I'm, I'm right here owning this completely. So, but I feel like pain has driven me away from my good habits because it's been so overwhelming and it's been so difficult to navigate that I'm just kind of in this place where it's like, when your stomach and your pelvis are constantly in pain, you're uncomfortable all the time. And so unless I am, you know, it's, it's like that five minutes I wake up and for a split second, there's like this relief. There's this, and, and this has been like six months now for, for five minutes, there's relief. And then there's this like internal body scan that I do where it's like, okay, where's the pain? Where's, where am I feeling it most right now? Is it, you know, what is it that I'm dealing with today? Is it my liver? Is it my, my colon? Is it my, you know, what horrible illness am I manifesting today? And then that sets it for the day, right? That's like the baseline. So that's been my hell. That's the perfect storm I've created for myself. And I say that, I say that jokingly loosely, but also with full acknowledgement that I know psychologically that fear and anxiety have the power to have that effect. And I very recently had a physician say to me, which was an awesome trigger for me. Um, okay, but we actually need to figure out what's wrong because anxiety doesn't cause pain. And it was like, no, no wonder I don't have any faith or peace in believing that this is the instance because I had a medical doctor say to me, well, there's got to be something wrong because, and so that just fed the cycle too. And I, I didn't even remember this until today talking to my psychologist and I figured it's something else you should hear because it certainly has lent to the pain cycle. Um, but <laughs> Somebody else is just sharing a friend of mine from Montreal who was in cancer treatment that she also turned to M&Ms during treatment. So apparently M&Ms are a thing. Um, I'm a fan. I love them too. I I know, but I can't eat them like that. So, so how do we get out of this? So right now we're in a place where I am still in pain. I'm still constantly in pain. That hasn't gone away with this realization. I now have to undo all of this. And that's the the undoing that I've invited you all to participate in with me. Um, because 
this isn't functional for me and I can't accept that. I, I can't continue to be who I need to be and be all of the people I'm supposed to be in my life, a parent, a, a you know, a, a firefighter, a mental health speaker. I can't do all of those things while carrying this level of pain. Like today I'm in pain because this morning I did a 20 minute video and I, and I've told you this before, very subconsciously pulled my leg up into cross my leg, wasn't thinking about it, then finished. And I was all tight in my pelvis and my, my hip flexor area again. And I'm just like, you just did this to yourself. And then it's fighting that pain all day. Now I am finding some relief and, and accepting that we have a plan here. So how do we go about undoing this? Not just for me, but for somebody who is so caught up in that pain cycle. For me, speak to your your strengths, obviously. For me, it's pelvic abdominal pain, and that's what you treat. How can you undo this? Can you undo this? If somebody's living with chronic pain, especially manifesting abdominally, which I think is common from what I'm starting to learn, um, what steps do we take now? How do we do this? What is the hell that is in store for me in terms of undoing all of this? And how do we get me to a place where in the month of May, I'm running 150 kilometers, like it or not. So I'm either going to kill myself doing it or, or it's going to be a great experience in working through this, which is my, my hope. And it's my real hope because I've now invited everybody to watch me do it. Um, how do how do we fix this? How do you how do you break down these layers? So, um, you know, first and foremost, we don't want to negate the physical stuff. So as always, checking in, working on your stretches, your breathing, your tension. That's always an important piece of the puzzle. That's the bio part. Um, the the most important thing, and we've kind of touched on this briefly, is a lot, putting you in situations where you're going to start to have more success, right? So situations where, and that's what I'm hoping for with this graded exposure approach, where we start small and we build because just like fear, tension, and pain cycles on each other, so does successful events, right? You all remember a, a game that you were playing and you had a couple good plays or saves for you, Kendra, and that just drives you, you get more confident and then you start playing better and then you get more, you know, so same concept with. Um, someone who's dealing with persistent pelvic pain issues is we have to create scenarios where they're going to have more success. And that's what's starting, like we talked about, starting small and building on it. So that's why we're going to discuss like um, a one to two kilometer run to try first, build on that 500 meters, increase by that, et cetera, et cetera, so that we can have some small wins there. The other piece too is that is going to be, sorry, the cat is going crazy over here. So I apologize if that's You so did weird. just get home from work. I'm sure they're happy to, yeah. I'm sure your yeah. cat's really happy to be ignored as soon as you come home from work. Yeah. He's like, what are you doing? He was walking up and down here earlier. I'm like, you know, can you help me count down But to answer the question about what the plan is, how we get out of this, um, you're doing a lot of it right now with education. Like that's such an important piece of understanding why you're feeling the way you're feeling, right? Because so much of what's driving your pain and your anxiety is the fear of, I don't know what's happening. Why do I feel this way? 
So that's why patent education is such an important piece because it gives people an explanation as to why do I have awful pain one day for no reason and then I feel pretty good the next day. Like, how does this change in this way? Why is this happening? So that's one of the biggest tools um, and gifts that you can give someone who's dealing with pelvic pain is an explanation, answers, and tools to manage that. So, you know, how do we downregulate the nervous system? How do we bring things down? How do we desensitize those nerves? Um, And that is through some of the things we're already working on, breathing, stretching, um, going for walks in nature, stuff like that, spending time with a loved one or a friend. Little things like this is literally what I prescribe to patients. It's not the only thing. But it's a piece of yeah. it because these are things yeah. that treat the nerve system that make you happy. Gratitude journals. I prescribe that to many patients where when they feel so um, low and just everything is, there's no positive outlook. There's a lot of negative kind of affect. Gratitude journal. Write down three things every night before you go to sleep that you're grateful for that day. Like the sunshine or a good interaction with a stranger. Just little things. Um, so yeah, those are actual types of treatment that we are coached yeah. on about how to treat the nervous system as well. Um, so to answer your question, you know, big summary of it all is we are trying to downregulate the nervous system with knowledge and with tools and with strategy. And you're right, not like we see a lot of clients who, um, you know, we don't get them pain-free. Like zero yeah. percent pain is not often the goal when you have potential. Yeah endometriosis or cysts unfortunately because it's such an uh, an awful condition to be living with and um so sometimes that's not the goal sometimes the goal is you know having the tools to manage it being able to do the things you want to do and knowing how to cope with your symptoms and stuff like that having someone on your team to get you there and, and that kind of outlook is realistically a lot of the time unfortunately with pel- with pelvic pain rather than complete pain-free, never feeling your, your pain again type of um, outlook as well. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's so important and so relevant as well is in, in that and what I've had, what I'm having to accept and, and um, really kind of submit to is through that fear and through that kind of irrational focus on the what ifs and the, you know, with my anxiety and with panic, um, is something that I've had to use many times throughout my journey living with, with mental illness is really just kind of handing over a bit of that trust and, and accountability so that it's not something I'm carrying on myself. It's something where, and I had this conversation with my psychologist today, um, which is 100% part of this, which is 100%, again, somebody else that I absolutely have to have on board with this process because it's such a huge role in it. But I was talking today with her about the fact that I need to just find a way to trust that everybody's telling me I'm not dying. Like, you know, it might not be as black and white as here's the answer, which is very much a potential with pelvic pain or with abdominal pain there might not be an answer there's there seems to be that potential for an unknown cause for pain and um it's finding peace with that somehow it's finding peace with the fact that unknown cause does not equal terminal illness unknown cause does not equal uh 
immediate emergency. Um, and, and that's really where I get stuck. And I mean, I'm somebody who jumps in wholeheartedly to, I'm, I'm really actually a good patient. Once I like finally get to that piece, I'm somebody who I will do everything you tell me to, because at the end of the day, I have to give it over to my team now. I have to give it to the people who are educated in this and provide in this and understand this in a way that they can educate me on the pieces I need to understand. But at the end of the day, nobody is urgently requesting tests for cancer because factually, as my psychologist put to me today, nothing symptomatic or data-based supports believing that any of that is the cause. Whereas data and symptoms support that I am having pain because of something that's going on in my ovary that is not life-threatening because they've already ruled that out. And now how do we manage that? And, and it's it's a lot of it, I think, is kind of reframing that focus and, and accepting it and finding some way to to find peace in that. And, and I mean, that's the piece of the journey that I have to take care of. I, I can't I can't ask you to do that. I can't ask my psychologist to do that for me. I can't ask anybody else on this team that I'm putting together to get me back on my feet to do that piece for me. But I can trust you guys in the therapy you can provide. And I can, you know, so for me at this point, and so that everybody kind of knows where I'm at with this, um, it, it does a number on me in so many ways. I mean, I've lost weight because I haven't been eating because my stomach's been in pain and I'm fearful of being sick. And I haven't been working out because it causes more pain in my pelvic area. I'm not sleeping well because none of what I'm going through lends to a decent night's sleep. And on top of that, life is happening and life is already stressful. So all of the things that I know I need to do to stay at my best have been neglected or absent for the past six months. And so now these are all of the things that we are working on. So Beth has so gratefully, um, one, signed up for dealing with my pelvic physio, which it, uh, I, again, I can't, I can't say enough. I mean, all jokes aside, it didn't occur to me as somebody who, who understands my anatomy somewhat as an athlete and somebody who has built muscle and understands working out, it is phenomenal how much is driven by your pelvic floor and how many, how many different aspects of your body tie into it from your nervous system to the nerves that are affecting different muscles and tendons and, and, it's so it's unbelievable. So I mean, to anybody who is in a position where they're dealing with any of these things, please find yourself a Beth. You can't have mine because she's going to be really busy. Um, but but uh, I mean, in addition to that, I mean, the, the other thing that I've really grown to like about your approach is right away, you've also seen the benefit of pulling in one of the first things you asked me was around psychology and, and I shared with you and my community knows I, I lost my psychologist a year ago. It's almost coming up on the anniversary of, um, so had to rebuild that and have, you know, been blessed to have Kate's good friend take me on as a patient and, and 
working with her now and confirmed she's all in today. Um, you had other suggestions as well. You you made other recommendations and, and can you just share that um, and, and kind of why? Like what, what's your reason for suggesting I engage with those additional practitioners and the role they can play in this so that other people yeah, you know, I know a lot of people that follow this live in rural communities. I don't know how many pelvic physiotherapists there are in rural communities. So, you know, to be able to pull on every practitioner, what are the other practitioners you wanted me working with to get me back on my feet here? Yeah, so um, last time we saw each other on Monday, we talked about um, osteopathy. So osteopathy um, is the approach of very multi-layered they look at all of the systems especially in the abdomen like they know all the organs the connections um, and how the different system works hormone wise as well so their knowledge is really helpful i often send most of my clients who are dealing with any sort of abdominal pain to our osteopath um, florence and they take a very gentle approach as well they're not digging away they're very soft with their hands so that was one thing we talked about osteopathy um, and then we Perfect. I know they told me they're like, we got her all booked in. I talked to Florence <laughs> today. Actually. I was like, I sent you a great client. Her name's Kendra. Like, well, I told her the Eminem thing. She laughed. Um, yeah. So it's great. And then yeah. she's going to meet me and she's going to curse you. But that's besides the point. <laughs> um, and then the other thing we spoke about was naturopathic medicine. So, um, Naturopathic medicine is, an, again, like a holistic approach to full body, right? They look at your diet, but they also ask you questions about everything, your sleep, um, sexual function, um, you know, past, you know, uh, conditions or injuries and things like that. So they really look, again, full body at everything and they give you some recommendations on perhaps supplements that might be helpful or um, practices that might be helpful based on what they're learning about your symptoms. So especially when it comes to anything endo related or um, ovarian cyst related PCOS, anything like that, I will always recommend naturopathic medicine um, because there's such a huge hormone component and that's really like their yeah. bread and butter is they're very knowledgeable about hormones and balances and stuff like that. So that's why I wanted to include um, those people in your team and your support team. And I think anyone with endo should consider um, a multi, you know, multifactorial approach with naturopathic or osteopathic or pelvic because endo is a full body condition. It's not just in your yeah. pelvis. Um, it can be affected by diet. It can be affected by sleep, which is why we touched on those topics as well. So. Um, yeah, we really have to target endometriosis and, and pelvic pain conditions like that from many different perspectives, for sure. And, and this is uh, just to add to that, too, in a conversation I had with my psychologist today was around my my fear, because uh, as as hard as it is to believe, I mean, I, I am far from anywhere near close to when I was not well. I mean, when I was very sick with my mental illness, I, I wasn't functioning. I mean, this has been hell and this has been disruptive and this is not something that I'm going to accept as my reality, but I'm far from shutting down. Um, that being said, there's always been this careful consideration for me around how I impact hormones in my body because I'm so 
conscious of how much of an effect they can have on anxiety or depression. And so some of the other pieces in my story that I'll get into more as we go through this journey together, um, I do live with an autoimmune uh, illness that has caused me issues that are affected by by hormones. I do, I, I am quite potentially perimenopausal. And if you make another comment about my age, Beth, I'm going to hang up on you right now. Um, as she tells me the other day, I'm getting old, so I should expect my body to need to recover, but that's fine. We'll, we'll just take that in stride. Um, we'll pass that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're not gonna, you're not forgiven for that one yet. Once I'm done running 150K, I'll think about forgiving you and then challenge you to do the same. Um, so, I, I mean, there's that, and then there's the piece around a lot of treatment for endometriosis and uh, ovarian cysts from a pharmaceutical perspective are hormone therapies that aren't options for me. So I'm somebody who is estrogen sensitive. I found this out the hard way. The first time they tried to treat me for endometriosis, a lot of what they do is uh, trying to manipulate your period, trying to manipulate your cycle so that you are not it, it, oftentimes not having your period as often because then you're not creating that endometrial tissue, so on and so forth. Um, and when they tried to treat me for that, I ended up with complex cysts through my breasts. I ended up having a very negative response to having increased estrogen in my body. So I'm aware of these things. And I know that it's not as easy for me to just take the traditional medicinal uh, route when it comes to these things. So this is the other reason I think it's so important to know your options and to know that there are options out there to support these things, because I'm somebody who is terrified of people playing with my hormones because I love my life. And there was a time 20 years ago, I wasn't going to survive. So I don't want to go back there and I don't want to do anything that could push me back there. So in having this conversation with Beth and to anybody who's listening and is going to explore any of these things, make sure you advocate for yourself. Make sure you share those fears in honesty. And I mean, I'm, I'm blessed and I'm sure, you know, Beth wasn't ready for me the second I walked in, but now she knows that I'm somebody who kind of, I'm no holds barred in terms of sharing what I need to share in order to make sure that we're, we're figuring out how I can find a solution that is something I can maintain and something that is sustainable for me. Because if it's a, if it's an issue that's going to cause another issue, then it doesn't serve me any purpose. Um, Beth, I want to thank you. I know you j like just got home from work, like ran home from work and signed on and I bet you haven't eaten dinner and I bet you, your cat hates me too. And um, I, I'm okay with that because yeah, I'm not really a cat person. So I, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I'm sure as far as cat goes, that's a cute one. I, yeah. uh, I, I carry an inhaler and the only reason I carry an inhaler is because of cats. So, oh, no. right. So it's really hard for me to have a whole lot of empathy for your cat. Like I'm, Fair if that, if the cat came through the screen, I would stop breathing. So, um, well, it's good to I'm going to make sure I roll my clothes before I have an appointment with you. Cause usually there's cat for everything. Oh, no, we're fine. We're fine. I thought you were going to say you were going to roll in cat fur before the appointment just to, no, to pay me back no, for that. No. 
roll it off. Roll it off. Um, but yeah, Brad, thanks so much for having me and, and organizing this chat. Um, it flew by. I can't believe it's been an hour. I was kind of like, oh, what are we going to talk about for an hour? But knowing you, I should have known that it was no problem to fill that time. Um, but no, I appreciate I so much with you about this stuff. And it's such an important condition to raise awareness about because there's stats that say there's about 10% of people who have a uterus have endometriosis about 10 percent yeah so it's quite and it's high hell. there's a lot of people it's out hell. there living like yeah you yeah. know and it's it's it, i signed on to some of the support groups i mean i looked at the boards in the office there when i when i started with you and i started with everybody else and everybody thinks your cat's gorgeous by the way um since i was mean i feel like i should share that um thank you i uh I signed on to some of the support groups and I read through them and I mean, it's not really my cup of tea. It's not really a good venue for me because I'm somebody who's very proactive for me. It's, I think there's a lot of people who accept conditions and don't necessarily recognize that if they want to better it, they're going to have to actively participate in bettering it. And so I sometimes struggle with that venue of support. Um, and, and and that's not a fault to anybody else. That's just, it doesn't serve me. And so I can't offer back anything relevant for them. Um, but, you know, reading, you know, some of the the stories that these, these people were sharing, it was just, it's heartbreaking. You know, people who have been affected by this their whole lives and their quality of life has just been, you know, diminished. And, you know, conversations about assisted dying and, around endometriosis because they just can't they can't bear it anymore and i mean i think that this is a conversation that so many people need to have and need to understand and the more i've learned about it, it it's uh you know it's not a challenge i want it's something that they've been kind of putting on the table with me for a lot of years now and it is what it is um it, ironically that's not what i find unmanageable it's the anxiety that i find unmanageable um, right. but you know, in, in this instance, again, they feed each other. And I think that I I've come to see a lot of people in this situation struggling. And, and so, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate what you do. I'm so grateful that you are on my team. Um, as, as much as I never expected it to be a, a practitioner that I needed in my, my corner. Uh, I mean, you've been the only reprieve I've had in the past six months, and I appreciate it more than you could know. Uh, I'm sure at some point further along in this journey, I'm going to bother you to do another one of these with me because there's so many people who are dealing with so much of, you know, what we're discussing here and the knowledge you have. Um, I can speak to the psychology of it. I can speak to the effects of it, but I don't necessarily understand it in a way that, that you can present. And, and that's a huge value add. So everybody here watching tonight is, is thanking you dearly and, and very grateful for you joining me here tonight. Um, My pleasure. As am I. So I, I will see you soon. Um, and, uh, uh yeah it's everybody here watching if anybody has any other questions i mean beth is stuck with me so if you have questions that i can bug her for for answers um 
please feel free fire them to me you can dm them because i don't i, I clearly understand that these can be personal issues that people don't want to jump onto a general chat here on a live video to share so if there's anything that i can find out for you guys information wise that you think beth could help with or that i could guide you in, in the right direction please let us know um beth thank you you're wonderful um i will see you soon and everybody else have a wonderful night thanks for hanging out with us on another episode of speakeasy where we believe conversations are meant to be had out loud Share this episode to help others find our show. And don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also join me at kfisher30 on Instagram as I travel across Canada and the U.S. tackling the current mental health crisis with colleges and universities.